0: Live from the Hills of Judea is the land of visual fellowship with Rabbis Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Hello, how are you? Can you hear me?
1: Okay, good. I'm really hoping you can. Don't know what's going on with the, uh, with the view here. But it is good to see all of you. Um, thank you for all the kind words about my beard. I, I want to get back to that. I want to have entire fellowships about my beard. Just to focus on the greatness of my beard now that it's coming back a little bit. Anyways, Shayna likes it, that's what's important. But, uh, but the, listen, there's a lot going on in the Abramowitz family right now. A lot of blessings and a lot of big challenges. Um, I'll share a little bit about that later. But I wasn't able to make it to Jerusalem to broadcast. So here I am at the farm in Judea. So Hashem, please send us the, badwi- the bandwidth that we need for this fellowship. And if we do get disconnected, hold tight. I'll be right on with the other router. Anyways. Jeremy, Shalom, good to see you. How are you? Um, so we, uh, it was really unusually hard for me to know where to start this fellowship. I just felt torn in so many different directions. And I know I say that all the time, but this time it was extreme. Because on the one hand, we're looking, we're starting the new book of the Torah, right? Sefer Bamidbar. Um, and you know, by the way, you think it would be called in the desert, because that's what the name itself means. But instead, it's called the book of numbers, which is strange, but hopefully we'll get into that soon. But, uh, but we're also approaching Shavuot. We're not going to have another fellowship before Shavuot, which is Pentecost, as it's called in English. And while I can stand some English names more than others, for some reason, I just can't handle the word Pentecost. I don't know why. It just sounds something. So, um, so with your permission, we'll just go ahead and call it Shavuot. And Shavuot is a very big deal as well. Shavuot is one of the Three primary festivals festivals upon which the entire nation just like converges upon Jerusalem and celebrates the giving of the Torah. It's one of the big three, right? And uh, arguably my favorite. But then again, I'm pretty sure I say that about all of them. And when I do, I'm telling the truth. I am telling the truth, and I'm telling the truth right now. But what I decided to start with in our limited time together is the holiday that we find ourselves immersed in right now. Yom Yerushalayim right, it, which is Jerusalem Day, Yom Yerushalayim, in which Jerusalem was miraculously liberated after thousands of years of prayer and of yearning. You know, I was conflicted about whether to re-air Jeremy's video about Yom Yerushalayim, which is so good. It's so good. And, uh, and I decided, you know, at the end, we're going to, after the final blessing, we're going to air it then. So just hold tight and watch it then. Um, it's, it's, I could watch it a thousand times. It's so good. But anyways, that was 55 years ago. And so for the next couple hours, we're celebrating Jerusalem day together, right? Live and real time. And so this is a joyous day, Uh, but for many, it can also be a a complicated day because while Jerusalem was liberated from captivity and we are indeed flocking towards Jerusalem to celebrate it, it's only a short teaser, right? It's a preview, it's a a mini sneak peek of what we can expect when the entire nation converges upon Jerusalem. I mean, look at some of these images. (laughs) (imitation) The
0: oh, I I
1: to beautiful like the singing the dancing the tears of joy and gratitude but um but you know it's just it's just not that simple there are also difficult things going on it's true and you know all day i'm getting sent these reports and videos and testimonies of just a few of these of these difficult things and you know as you know we find ourselves in a in a very difficult situation with the jihadist arabs who are terrorizing jews in the streets and stabbing us randomly and and brutally and indiscriminately and they're just, I mean, it's just, its I'm being honest, they're brazenly trashing and desecrating so much of the city and they're taking down Israeli flags and replacing them with Palestinian and Hamas flags in the streets of Jerusalem. Just look at some of these videos. ها يحفر قبرك The truth is, if that was just it, if it was just replacing flags and barricading themselves in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, you know, and, and just like attacking police from there, that's one thing, you know, but, but it's just, it's so much more brutal than that. I just didn't want to share those videos because last time I remember, I sort of shook some people up and I don't, I don't want to do that. It's difficult to see. And I found myself conflicted about whether to address all of this negative stuff at all, you know, after all, it's a holiday and maybe just stay focused on the positive, you know, Israel inspired. That's what our podcast was called. Land of Israel Fellowship, to stay positive, but it didn't feel right, right? Not with all of you, right? You're way too deeply connected to want to only hear the rosy colored news. Plus, I think that by now in the fellowship, we intuitively know that on the deepest level, it's all a blessing, right? We know that the truth is that it's all positive, whether it's reveal or hidden blessing, because, you know, right now in Israel, there's plenty of both. There's plenty of revealed blessing. Oh my goodness. And there's also Plenty of hidden blessing that shows up as a lot of darkness. Because as, we, as, we, as we've said before, you know, when a man beats a dog with a stick, the dog bites at the stick. For us to focus our anger and our hatred on these throngs of, of savage jihadi Arabs who are just bringing so much darkness with them everywhere they go. You know, for us to focus on them is really missing the point totally. It's, it's biting at the stick. You know, Hashem is doing something here. He's trying to arouse us from our slumber. And the problem I really believe is not with them, it's with us. You know, last week when I was on that VIP tour of the old city that I told you about, something happened that I didn't share with you then. I think I was still digesting it. Maybe it wasn't on topic. Maybe Jeremy was behind me making me paranoid. don't want to go negative. But but, you know, some of you have reached out to me and you've seen me on the news and you saw that I was actually peripherally involved in, in what happened. But you know, so here's what happened. Our group, we found ourselves in the Arab-occupied part of the old city in a, in a courtyard. And all of a sudden, there is a swarm of Arabs who converged on us, screaming and raising their fists and gnashing their teeth. And I'm just telling you, it got really intense, really fast. And things got physical almost immediately. I mean, there weren't any weapons out that I saw. But there was hard pushing and shoving and grabbing. And I can tell you that it was not happening from our side. And then right next to me, I saw this Arab woman in, in a burqa, Grab Nadia Matar's, you know, remember Nadia Matar, she's the founder of Women in Green, it's now known as the Sovereignty Movement, to have sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, incredible woman. Anyways, this woman grabbed Nadia's arm and pushed her hard back, and and I'm telling you, as quick as lightning, Nadia just slapped her across the face, stunning her, and yelled in Hebrew, don't you dare. Now, I'm not a violence lover, I don't love anything like that. But I'm telling you that within one fleeting second, that Arab woman's face transformed from vile hatred to fear. To th- there's just no question about it. It was the blink of an eye. And then the riot police rushed in and separated everybody. But the image of that split second transformation right before my eyes will always be with me. Because you know a number of you have expressed to me personally, one-on-one, your, um, your, your loving disappointment. With Israel that we tolerate so much evil in our midst right that we don't strike back in righteous and holy indignation against what is unquestionably evil evil behavior and my answer to that is I believe that that, that's actually what this is all about you see it isn't that our nation is weak what's happening this this humiliating daily desecration of fleeing from abuse and attacks it's not an accurate representation of the people what we're dealing with, to be honest, is an epically corrupt leadership. And I'm not gonna get into the politics of things. I don't wanna get into politics, but the prime minister got five out of 120 seats and he's the prime minister of Israel. And so basically he cheated his constituents in one of the most flagrant corrupt ways I've ever seen a leader do, largely by forming a party with Arab anti-Israel parties and exactly what he vowed not to do. But listen, the point here isn't about politics my point is that the nation of israel is strong the nation of israel is really it's like a lion that is ready to pounce you know when shana and i were trying to decide on a name for our son one of the ideas i was considering was the name Kfir, or lavi or or gur or a, a number of others that mean the same thing lion right lions at different stages of their lives different types but i found myself wondering Why Hebrew has so many different names for lion? And I think the answer is because in our hearts, the nation of Israel is a lion. And this Arab jihadist world is making a terrible mistake by misunderstanding our hesitance to use strength and force and our reluctance to strike against their evil with with strength and decisiveness. The mistake they're making is that they're confusing our kindness with weakness. And this is a mistake which I believe in my heart they will be disabused of very soon because we are a lion. And I'm talking about the nation as a whole. We're a lion and we're ready to pounce. And when we do, they will share the disorientation and the confusion. And they will, really, the fear that I saw in that woman's face when she received that slap across the face, you know, those of you, a lot of you have come to Jerusalem. You've been here before. You've walked through the streets of Jerusalem. You've seen the statues of lions. I just took a few Of those pictures together because lions are one of the symbols of Jerusalem, not only because of Judah's sign being the lion of Judea, but the the lion signifies the royalty and the majesty upon the city of God's eternal kingdom. And that's why I believe that Yerushalayim is the epicenter of this violent intensity and, and all this tension. The reason that Jerusalem is the source of all the hatred and division is because Jerusalem will soon also be the source of the love and the peace that will sweep over all of humanity. I know it and I see it. And when I see these Arabs, that is what I yearn for. I don't yearn for them to get punished or to be set straight. I yearn for brotherhood and friendship and love. That's what I yearn for. Anyways, because Yerushalayim, Yerushalem, the city of peace, of wholeness, of completion, of oneness, of brotherhood, it's hard to imagine, but it's true. If the world is composed of all these balances, as we've, as we've seen discussing and we've discussed in the past fellowships, then the pendulum will swing to the opposite extreme of love and harmony. And that's going to happen very, sh- very soon. We've shared this before, but, uh, but if there's ever time to share it again, it's right here and right now. And I want Jeremy to actually elaborate further on his thoughts about Jerusalem, but many of you are new in the fellowship, so I want to share this idea because it's very dear to my heart, that Yerushalayim, the word Jerusalem, it ends in ayim, because when a word ends in ayim, it means that there's a pair, right, yad yadaim, ayin enayim, Yerushalayim ends in ayim because there are two Jerusalems, Yerushalayim shalmala and Yerushalayim shalmata, the, the heavenly Jerusalem and the earthly Jerusalem, it's in Jerusalem where heaven and earth connect, it's the portal, it's the bridge, It's the the bridge between the sublime and the imminent. You know, in our house of prayer, which many of you have been to, and hopefully all of you will be to soon, we have this beautiful Aaron Kodesh. I showed you pictures of it last week. It's the the new ark that we have the Torah in. And we had these stones collected from the four holy cities in the land of Israel. And each one of these cities represents one of four natural elements. So who can tell me what those holy cities are and the elements they represent? I'm looking right now at the chat. Who's got it? What are the four holy cities and what elements do they represent? Okay, so there's Sfat. Right, Sfat, the city of Sfat, that's air. When you're in Sfat, you just know it. Tiberias is water, right? The Kinneret, the Galilee. Hebron is earth. And Jerusalem is fire. And so why is Jerusalem fire? Not only... You know, not only does Jerusalem some of these images of of the fire on the altar of the temple with the smoke ascending in this perfect pillar, regardless of the winds, you know, the, but the fire itself is exactly that element. It emerges. What is fire? Think of a candle, right? It emerges from a wick that's connected to, let's say, olive oil or a source of fuel. And so the fire is connected to the world below, but it's constantly striving upwards. Right, it's yearning to go higher and higher and return to its source, but all the while it's converting this physical substance of this world to a higher dimension. That's the nature of fire, and that's the nature of Jerusalem, and that's why I want to pray together for Jerusalem at this moment, for Israel and for Jerusalem. And this is a special prayer that I want to pray with you because you know we have special commemoration of the miracles of Hanukkah and of Purim in our special Amidah prayer meditation that we do every day and when it's Hanukkah Purim we have these special prayers that we've said for thousands of years for these special days so there's uh, many modern day sages including Rabbi Jonathan Sachs may his memory be a, a blessing who have composed this prayer to be joyfully recited in our prayers on Yom Ha'atzmod and I think very much applies to Yom Shalim as well so before introducing Jeremy to share his thoughts I thought we could all pray this together We thank you, Hashem, for the miracles, the redemption, the mighty deeds, the salvation, and the victories in battle which you performed for our ancestors in those days at this time. When the armies of the Middle East rose up against your people, Israel, and sought to destroy, to slay, and exterminate the inhabitants of your land, young and old, children and women, And among them, those who had survived the sword and were saved from the horror of your enemy's flames, one from a city, two from a family, hoping to find a resting place for the souls of their feet in your land that you had promised them. Then you and your great compassion stood by us in our times of distress, thwarted their counsel and frustrated their plans, raised us upright and established our liberty, championed our cause. Judged our claim, avenged our wrong, delivered the strong into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few, the impure into the hands of the holy. You made for yourself great and holy renown in your world, and for your people, Israel, you performed a great salvation and redemption as of this day. You subjugated peoples under us, nations beneath our feet, and you gave us our inheritance, the land of Canaan to its borders, and returned us to the place of your holy sanctuary. In the same way, make us a miracle and a glorious wonder. Thwart the counsel of our enemies. Have us prosper in the pastures of our land and gather in our scattered ones from the four corners of the earth and we will rejoice in the rebuilding of your city and in the establishment of your sanctuary and the flourishing of the pride of your servant David. Speedily speedily in our days and we will give thanks to your great name. Amen. Okay. Now I'm honored to introduce my beloved friend Jeremy to share some thoughts on the great moment that we find ourselves in right now.
0: Hey everybody, Jerusalem! Happy Jerusalem Day, Yom Yerushalayim Sameach. It's just so great that we're able to celebrate together here. Um, you know, so much of our fellowship when we learn. So we take these lofty ideas in the Torah, we take these stories and. We find the symbolism in them. We find the meaning in them. We find in them guidance for how to live our lives. We take the stories as blueprints of really what it's teaching us about how to live better in the world. And Jerusalem is an idea. But on Jerusalem Day, we also remember that Jerusalem is a very real reality. It's not just a temple that dwells within our hearts, but there is a city and a map and a land and it's real. And all of you know that I love Jordan Peterson. And, you know, sometimes he'll teach, you know, the symbolism and the meanings to things in the Bible. And then he'll skip over to Pinocchio and start talking about Pinocchio and its meaning. And almost in like the same paragraph, he'll sort of compare the two. And I'm always very uncomfortable with that easy transition that he does. And what Jerusalem Day does is like, no, no, no. There's a difference between mythologies and poetry and writings. And all of a sudden, when we read the text of the Tanakh, it becomes very, very real. So there's a Torah for, as a code for living, but then there's the Torah as a blueprint for reality and prophecy that is unfolding. And there's some ideas in the Tanakh that are just inexplicable. You can't explain how the prophets knew what they knew, how they saw what they saw. And I just want to give one example because what's happening now is on my way to broadcast, I was just watching just different international news outlets in every news outlet that I saw. Whether it be Al Jazeera or CNN or uh, Arut Sheva, just everyone that I was looking at was talking about Jerusalem. And I want you to open up here to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. And here's what it says. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a burden stone for all nations. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut to pieces, though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against her. Now, I want you to understand, Zechariah, when he said this, it was after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the Babylonian exile. It's after the Assyrians came and just destroyed the northern tribes of Israel. Judea and Jerusalem were a far-off little province with no political power, in absolute ruin from the destruction, and Zechariah stands up. And puts out this eternal word. One day, I want you to know. All of the nations of the world are going to come together. And Jerusalem is going to be a burden for all these nations. And it's like, well, how could, how, first of all, how could even all nations come together? And why Jerusalem, this little land in the middle of the middle. Like what? How could he have known that? And I just want to show you this this statistic that we have here. If you look at that um, thing right here which is just a stat from the U.K., the U.N. condemnations, and I just touched a random one here, and you look at all of the countries of the world, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Turkey, Venezuela, and you look at Israel, 20, 20 condemnations against Israel, And just, uh, you can count them on your hands to the other nations. It's like the United Nations of the world, Israel has more condemnations almost every single year, more than all of the other nations combined. And it's like, how did this happen that this little country, quite literally, exactly what Zachariah said, all the nations are going to come together and Jerusalem is going to be a burden for them. And here's what's happening in the world. We're going through a transition right now. And it's gonna, it's it's already rocking the world. And we're experiencing it as like the coronavirus. And then we're like, huh, that was just nothing. The coronavirus just, it's over now. The, no travel bans, no masks, no isolations. All of that, it just stopped. It's like It was like an energy that was rocking the world and we experienced it or, or the world transmitted it as a coronavirus. Then there's the world war three, the Ukraine is invading Russia, Russia, Ukraine. It's just like another distraction and another distraction. But all of those are exactly that. All of those are distractions. But if you keep your eye, the storyline, this is what's happening. If we open up to Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3, here's what it says. Thus said Hashem, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Jerusalem is going to be called the city of truth. And as the world is now trying to distract us and trying to convince us, there is no truth. There's just different types of narratives and there's different perspectives. There's no good. There's no evil. There's no right and wrong. Everyone can just live the way that they want to live. You have your God and I have my God and he has his truth and she has her truth. It's like a return to the pagan way that Abraham first fought against there in the Bible is not, um, you know, it's it's not true. It's just a collection of stories. But all of a sudden, the Jewish return to Jerusalem and us parading through the streets after 2000 years for everyone to see, it's a witness. It's a truth that's slowly being revealed. And like the sunrise, Isaiah says, the redemption is going to unfold. Like, it's not going to be just one false swoop. It's going to be slowly, slowly getting brighter and brighter. And if you watch, Jerusalem keeps getting bigger. There are now 600,000 Jews living in Jerusalem this year. That's the number of the Israelites that left Egypt. We've never had it this good. It's never been this big. We've never had as many synagogues in Jerusalem before. Never as many yeshivas learning Torah. Never as many Torah institutions. It's never been physically as massive as it is right now. And with that, everything that's happening, all of the challenges and the struggles, all of that is a part of the divine process of this sunrise where clouds will come and hide a little bit and then the light becomes revealed a little bit more. The stresses and the pressures are forcing us to act a certain way in the same way that a journey for every person, it's to become who they were destined to be. The challenges and struggles that we're seeing right now in the streets of Jerusalem, its Israel is being forced to go through a process to bring us toward our destiny. There's a system that's in place. And before King David arrives on the scene in the book of Samuel, in the Bible, there's the book of Judges. And we are right now quite literally living through the book of Judges if we understand that it's a map. And what happens when Israel shows weakness, when Israel loses its faith, when we veer from the path, the enemies within the land of Israel force us to become courageous, force us to return to our destiny, force us to the path of righteousness. And right now there's a system in place that until Israel really becomes the Israel that we were destined to be. We have a system in this land that's going to force us to be proud Jews, that's going to force us to be courageous, that's going to force us to fight for what's right and for what's true, and for Israel to eventually become who we were destined to be. And right now we're literally living through that process. And here behind me, in the mountains of Judea, when you stand right there on our farm, you can see Jerusalem in the horizon. And from Judea to Jerusalem, like King David first served seven years in Judea and then moved to Jerusalem. It just feels like what we're seeing on our farm is the beginning of something that's ultimately going to end in Jerusalem. What you can feel, what we've experienced, what we've seen just last week. We had yeshivas come, seminaries come, Christian leadership groups come. We had Haredi Jews from America spend Shabbat with us on the farm. We had Sephardic Jews. It's like a whole mishmash of all of these amazing people and the one common thread through all of them Is that all of us are believers in the god of israel from different backgrounds different understandings different ways of living different ways of being but there is a huge umbrella that kind of covers all of us and ultimately from the mountains of king david here a more and more light and a bigger movement keeps on growing and you know today we are now finishing two years it's our two-year anniversary at the land of israel fellowship we started the day after Shavuot two years ago, and we are now right before Shavuot again, and we're now completing two weeks. What started with just a handful of people from a few different countries has now grown into well over 800 families from 50 countries, and we just keep on growing and growing and growing. And look at what Zechariah chapter 2 verse 14 says, Sing and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to Hashem on that day and they will become my people. I will dwell within you and you will know that Hashem Almighty has sent me to you. Hashem will take Judea as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will choose Jerusalem again. And so... We have absolute freedom in this world to choose how we want to live our life. We can ignore everything. We can be distracted by everything. We can just watch the next series on Netflix. But we also have the option to align our life with the vision of the Bible. In our personal life, we can choose to walk in the light, live by the wisdom and the guidance of the prophets. If you do... You're promised to be blessed. You'll have a blessed life, but it's more than just our own internal redemption and salvation and connection to God. There's also a plan that's unfolding for all of humanity in the world. And that's what Jerusalem Day is really celebrating, that there is a plan for all of humanity that's unfolding. Keep your eye on Jerusalem. Align yourself with the story of Israel and with God's plan for the world, and you'll be blessed. You'll live a life that is a blessing because you become a part of his plan that's unfolding for everyone. And there's only one city that we're called to pray for, and that's Yerushalayim. And it doesn't just say to pray for her, but it's to pray for her shalom. Shalom doesn't just mean peace, but it means her wholeness, her completeness. And there's one city where the nations are coming together now, and they want to divide her. And we're calling to pray for her unity, to pray for her completeness. And... The plan for all of humanity is going to unfold in Jerusalem. Nations are going to turn against her to divide her. We're seeing that unfolding now, especially with this weak government. And then believers are going to come together to pray for her, to uh, to defend her, to hope, to fight for her unity. And the truth will be revealed. Who runs the world? Jerusalem is the center stage. And it's the beacon where God's truth is being revealed and will ultimately be revealed. Jerusalem is going to be called the city of truth. For everyone to know that the world is not random but there is a plan and god is alive and well and jerusalem is continuously being established as this kingdom is being built so i just want to wish everyone a happy jerusalem day and what a spice card that we're celebrating jerusalem day at our second anniversary together so with that i just want to bless us all that two years ago we started a small project And it has literally not only transformed the mountains here in Judea, but it's slowly but surely spreading its branches around the world. And after Shavuot, I plan to start a new teaching, a new chapter for the fellowship. So you are going to stay tuned for that as we enter into the third year. You're not going to want to miss it. And so I bless us all that we are able to gather together, united in Jerusalem, dancing in the streets soon in our days. So... Happy Yom Yerushalayim, everyone.
1: Beautiful, Jeremy. That was really, really beautiful. Two years! That is very exciting. And I love that prophecy. It's one of my favorite prophecies from Chapter 2 of Zechariah. because <laughs> What, what is it uh, what does it mean it's actually so beautiful because that's what we're that's what our fellowship is very much about you know it's it's about really bringing us together and taking the walls down and when the prophet says that there will be the righteous of the nations will a- attach themselves to the house of Israel, and they will be for me like a nation there's going to be some sort of new nation new family that is forged that is born and I can't help but to feel like I'm seeing that happen in our actual fellowship. So that was really beautiful. I love that prophecy. But you know, there's, um, there's so many applicable prophecies to Yom Yerushalayim. One of the most uh, famous Mashiach verses in the Torah, many people shall go and say, come let us out of Jacob, we may walk in his paths for God from Jerusalem. Torah. Torah is going to come from Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means at the simplest level, that Jerusalem isn't just a normal city, right? It has a purpose. It has a mission. It's an idea. Jerusalem is the geographical manifestation of the Torah itself, which brings us to the great holiday that's rapidly approaching. I sort of wish we had a fellowship before Shavuot so we could do the entire fellowship on Shavuot, but it really comes out over next Shabbat and Sunday. So the holiday of Shavuot, So I want to share with you about this because there's just so much riding on it. That it's what our fellowship is about. And there's so much potential to be harnessed that it would just be tragic if we let it slip through our fingers. Because as we remember, nearly every Jewish holiday, right, we talk about all the time, that these moments in time are not isolated commemorations of events that happened thousands of years ago. But rather time ascends like what? Like this helix. Of repeating cycles which are illuminated by the biblical roots at the foundational level of the spiral so the same energy from the biblical root infuses our time even now and so we're not commemorating the receiving of the torah we're actually receiving the torah that is the energy in the world we're receiving the torah and that is why so many of us from around the world really go to great lengths to participate in the custom of staying up all night to learn Torah. No judgment here. If you're one of those people that stays up all night on Pentecostal vote, raise your hand. Okay. All right, there's a few of you. Okay. So, so the, the the idea, there's a lot of reasons that are given for this custom. Um, one of the many reasons where it originated is that uh, we're, we're fixing this blemish That the nation of Israel slept later on the day of the giving of the Torah. It's very difficult to understand. Meaning we've been counting up. We're super excited. But for some reason the entire nation slept in. And Hashem had sort of wake us up himself. And so in order to rectify that shortcoming of sleeping in on the day of the Torah being given. We don't sleep at all to rectify that. And so many people perceive Shavuot as a holiday in which staying up all night is in this intellectual cognitive endeavor, right? That's focused on acquiring as much quantitative Torah learning as possible. But through my journey in this world and in this fellowship, I've come to believe less and less in the idea of of quantitative anything, right? The purpose of staying up all night on Shavuot is to kindle that fire, right? To, To get that passion lit the love of Torah and Torah learning in our hearts to receive the Torah with passion and zeal and to to really be able to light our daily fire in our hearts of love for learning Torah from the inferno that we're igniting on the night of Shavuot when we stay up all night. And so if any of you are in the position to stay up all night learning or even just unusually late, if that's what you can do, then this fellowship was worth doing just by that alone it may have been worth it and so listen so while we're at it there's another custom I wanted to talk about it may seem like a little irrelevant custom but I actually find it sort of beautiful and I wanted to share it with you and I, and by the way I always find it remarkable how many lactose intolerant Ashkenazic people take seriously the custom to eat dairy on Shavuot have you heard of this I mean there's a lot of programs throughout synagogues, throughout the world. And there's not one program you're going to go to where there's not a cheesecake there. It's the greatest cheesecake sales day of the year. And I've heard the reason given that we eat dairy to commemorate receiving the Torah because upon receiving the Torah, we learned that our preparation for the meat was wrong, which, uh, you know, which rendered the meat that we had not kosher and inedible. So we were relegated to eating dairy. Okay, maybe, maybe that's it. But a teaching brought down by Rabbi Moss spoke to me on such a deep level and I wanted to share it with you. So he points out the scientific fact that in all mammals, right, humans included, the milk that the mother produces is made from her own blood, right? Her mammary glands transform her transform her own blood into pure white mother's milk, which, I mean, he points out is quite an awe-inspiring, miraculous process when you consider how radically different blood and milk actually are but uh, but rabbi moss took it a step further in a way that really spoke to me he explains that blood as we know what does blood represent our our basest desires and our instincts. it's it's this animalistic um you know something primal about it something instinctive and self-satisfying it's an instinct fulfilling our instincts but mother's milk on the other hand represents refinement and purity of character, of giving, of selflessness, right, of, of nurturing. I see it 50 times a day in how my wife, Shana, is just selflessly and lovingly nursing our little baby, Shiloh. It's just the very opposite of base, selfish pursuit of satisfaction and pleasure. And that's what the Torah is supposed to do for us, right? It's supposed to refine our base, animalistic, selfish instincts and elevate them to Selflessness and loving and nurturing and giving that's what the Torah is for, and that is fundamental to our mission in the world, right? To transform our blood into milk. And that, my friends, is why we eat cheesecake. It has nothing to do with the fact that cheesecake is just really, really, really good, it's because of all that stuff. Anyways, it's both true, they're both true, but um, but it's also one of the core reasons about why we offer the two loaves of bread in the temple on Shavuot as well, right? So open your Tanakhs to Leviticus 13. We'll be looking inside soon. But we discussed this before, right? When we talked about Passover, the Passover is the barley harvest. Barley being the food that is more associated with animal feed than human food. Whereas wheat is considered the more refined food for human consumption. And hence, when the children of Israel left Egypt, we were like, Babies in some ways, like little instinctive animals. And then we started counting the 50 days, each day rising and raising ourselves further and refining our character further until we arrived at the level just sort of angels at the giving of the Torah, right? So from the blood to the milk, from the barley to the wheat, the 50-day count of the Omer, the whole thing, it's really all about a time of growth. And refinement and in that way shavuot was quite different in the times of temple than it is in today and it's really worth reflecting on considering that please god we're approaching the times of the third temple may it be soon so let's start thinking about what it was like then in the third temple so in temple times shavuot was called shavuot that's true which means weeks counting the weeks right but uh, but it was also called chag hakatzir as we see in leviticus 23 which means the holiday of harvest because it was coincided with the wheat harvest. Tabitha, keep that, that up. Keep that up. And it was called Yom Habikurim also, which we see in number 28. Which means the day of produce. Because the first wheat offering was offered in the temple. When we would bring the shteylech and the two loaves of bread. So let's look in, at this uh, slide in Leviticus 23 chapters, verses 16 to 21. To the next day after the seventh Sabbath shall you count 50 days. And you shall offer a new meal offering to the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. That's an amount. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bull and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering to the Lord with their meal offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire of sweet savor to the lord then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the lord of the two lambs they shall be holy to the lord for the priest and you shall proclaim on that same day that it may be a holy gathering to you You shall do no labor in it. It shall be a statute forever in your dwellings throughout your generations. Right? So, uh, Rav Baruch Altain of Chabad, he really goes into this very beautifully. We we saw it in the last verses. The lambs and the loaves were waved in all four directions. Right? Just picture that. These Kohanim, these priests, there's just something so beautiful about it. Right? So the the lambs were slaughtered and the two loaves were eaten by the Kohanim. But when I picture this, these Kohanim taking these loaves of bread and just waving them in the different directions, there was, I don't know, it just just touched me because I just compared it in my mind to everywhere else in the world in those times. These, These backwards, primitive idolaters that were offering their sacrifices, right, human or otherwise, to idols, to statues, to the to the work of their own hands, whereas the Israelites would take out sacrifices and wave them to invisibleness in every direction, in every dimension, offering both our sacrifices and our hearts to the God who transcends the physical and just encompasses all that there is. And uh, and to that, that transcendent God, God we, we offered our human food, right? Loaves of wheat bread to remind ourselves that all of our sustenance everything comes from him all of it that's what the sages say why there were two loaves right the spademet teaches that the two loaves serve to serve the function of bringing together the the uni- and, and unifying the perception of duality within creation right this perceived duality the multiplicity like there's one two three there's that and there's that and there's that, and there's that and all these different things It brought them all together, the perceived duality that there is the work of our hands, which is the product of our own exertion. Uh, That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, the divine blessings that are bestowed upon us from above, right? That on the other hand. And on the anniversary of the giving of the Torah, we have, we wave both loaves representing these two seemingly different domains of our life. To remember that the deepest truth that the Torah teaches us—that the two are one, that both of them come from God—even the work of our own hands that we're so convinced is the product of our own strength and our own exertion—and one of the reasons given that we offer bread on Shavuot is to remember that just as we need bread to live, we need Torah. It's not a a one-time thing in the past from an ancient document. We need to renew our vows and our commitments every year. It needs to be always renewed and revitalized and refreshed. It's, it's, the need for Torah is the most primal need for our souls, just as food is for the body. Which brings us to where the Torah was given, right? Which it just happens to be is the name of the book of the Torah that we just began, right? Bamidbar, in the desert. Now, there are many reasons given for why the Torah was given in the desert, right? There are no distractions. There's nowhere to divide our attention up. That the desert is a place of trust, for example, as the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 2, right? In which we followed Hashem into the desert, into a a land that was unsown, into an eretz lozruah, into a land that was unsown. Jeremy actually has that verse above the entrance to his house because of Tehillah following him into the land unsown. And then once he did it, I couldn't do it. He took the idea already. It was a good idea. Pretty romantic. But anyways, there's no there's no natural resources in the desert that one could depend on to survive, right? Without faith, the desert is just a, a death sentence. And they used to actually send people into the desert for a death sentence. It was the same thing. And so while that's true, my friend Rabbi Micha Hyman inspired another Another perspective that really spoke to me, he points out that the book of Bamidbar should really be called In the Desert and not Numbers because yes, while there are censuses taken, while there are numbers thrown out there, really the essence of the book itself is about the desert, right? Not just the geographical location where it plays out, but the idea of the desert, the spiritual location of what the desert is, right? Which is a place of desolation and wasteland it's a place of confusion the desert is a place where nothing grows right you're in the middle of the desert what's south what's north if you don't know how to look at the stars there's nothing to tell one way from the other you're just confused nothing is growing there you don't see the fruits of your labors everything seems futile everything seems out of your hands it's disorienting and it's just confusing at its core and there's just so much confusion in the entire book of Bar. it's maybe the most confusing book not only when you're reading it sometimes, but for the nation of Israel that was enduring it. The nation of Israel went from being redeemed from Egypt and on their way to the promised land to all of a sudden being destined to die off in the wilderness as they suffer from plagues and punishments, which really, they, yes, they did bring it upon themselves. That's true, but it was also a product of the, of the very disorientation and confusion that the desert represents. But in that desert of confusion, that is where Hashem gives us the Torah, right? And and we need to remember that we will go through deserts in our lives. It's not a maybe. It is definitive. We will. It is a part of the journey. It's not a detour from the journey. It's a part of the journey. And it's not a punishment. It's just where we need to be. But when we are there, we need to remember that it was there that the Torah was given. And that even in the middle of the parched desert, the Torah was there for us as a compass, as, a, as sustenance, as the tree of life itself, right? In the middle of the desert, that is not only available to us, but in the desert is where it was given to begin with. And now to, I guess, to try to bring it all together, right? The question of why the Torah was given in the desert and not in the land of Israel was addressed by Rav Moshe Terani who quotes the sages that say that if the Torah was given in the land of Israel, the Jews would have said to the nations of the world, it's ours, right? You have no portion in it. Therefore, it was given in the desert, an ownerless place to convey that whoever wants to receive it may come and receive it. And I loved reading that because that's really what our fellowship is about. It's saying those who want to drink from the springs of life of the Torah, then come this way, whoever you are. But the the great Rabbi Lichman, who I think I remember introducing the fellowship two years ago, he adds a dimension to that answer. Yes, it was given in an ownerless place so that it would be accessible to the nations of the world. Because, says Rabbi Lichman, the Torah is a prerequisite for entering the land. We cannot exist in the land without the Torah. So we had to receive it, before entering, we had to get it in the desert before we entered the land. The Torah gives us the necessary tools that we need, not only to survive, but to thrive, right, in this uniquely spiritual, godly, holy land, which is unlike anything else anywhere in the world. What, what Rav Lifman explains is that before entering the palace of the king, we had to be told how we were expected to act there. And so here we are, there, we're there, we're in the palace of the king. We're we're broadcasting to to you, like our holy Jewish brothers and sisters around the world, our righteous non-Jewish brothers and sisters out there. We're coming together here from the palace of the king, from the land of Israel, in this virtual world, and we're celebrating. And we're celebrating the Torah. We're celebrating Jerusalem. We're celebrating our friendship and our brotherhood. We're celebrating this fellowship, our two-year anniversary. We're celebrating our shared love for the land of Israel, for the people of Israel, for the God of Israel, and the Torah of Israel. And so while there is indeed darkness and evil that are converging on us from all around, thank God, Baruch Hashem, we are blessed with the eyes to see this great light of redemption that is rising right behind it. Right? It's just about to completely consume this darkness with its rays of, of godliness and love. You know, right before the, uh, the fellowship uh, began, someone sent me this video, right? And uh, w- w- what you're looking here, it's a very brief video. I think it's 14 seconds, but it's a video of the Mugrabi Gate. right? It's the Mugrabi gate and the bridge It's filled with Jews, Jews, and also I'm sure and there are many of the holy non Jews of the world that are waiting, that are patiently waiting, that are waiting to ascend to the Temple Mount. And not just to the Temple Mount, they're waiting for the Temple. They're waiting. We're waiting. The whole world is waiting. Whether they know it or not, the whole world is waiting. So, Hashem, it's so clear that you've started this process, but the journey is just taking so long and it's so painful. So for your sake, Hashem, for your great name's sake, in the honor of our forefathers and our foremothers, or even just out of pure compassion for us, Hashem, please send your righteous Mashiach to the world so that we can replace all the anger and the fear and the hate with compassion and blessing and love. May it be soon. And... Uh, and so I want to bless all of you, but first I want to just open up and share with you something that's going on in my life and in my heart that's very difficult. Uh, I want to share that with you at this point because I'm, I'm asking for your prayers. Um, and it's for my father, right? Mordechai Herschel Ben Chaya. It's so overwhelming what's happening to me. I, it's difficult to express. Since I'm a little tiny baby, I look at my father like just the hero of the world, the strongest, most incredible, powerful Jew that I know. And he was just checked into the hospital. In Sharet Tzedek for tests. And there's just a lot of stuff that's going on. And it's really painful to see. And so I, I, uh, I request your prayers. That he should, should have a complete recovery. And may all those in this fellowship. That are needing healing and recovery. Be gifted with the refu'ah shlema. With a complete healing. His name is Mordechai Herschel Ben Chaya. I'll say it again. Mordechai. You could say Mordecai. If you can't do the ha. Mordecai Herschel, Ben Chaya, and so we should all pray for each other. The whole world needs a lot of healing. And now, before the uh, this the great blessing. For those who who would like, just reminding you that at the end of this fellowship, we will be re-airing Jeremy's powerful Yom Yerushalayim video. So, so hang on for that. So now, for the uh, for the great blessing that I love so much arguably the highlight of every week's fellowship it's as you know the the blessing that the high priest bestow upon the jewish people and being that we're a nation of priests i'm not a priest myself but i'm a nation of priests it's my honor to express these words of blessing from my heart and from the words of the torah and of god himself to all of you yivarechecha adonai vishmarecha May Hashem bless and protect you. May Hashem make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Hashem lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Love you, my friends. Shalom, shalom. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the Land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.